we can get more out of a system without increasing the input. And in the case of digital marketing, the input is the most expensive part. This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, episode 83. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. One of the big trends I've seen recently online is that everybody's sort of selling their kind of blueprint, their formula for what a funnel should look like. My formula's the best. Right. So that you have one of these and then a $27 product and then a $97 Two product. Two pullets of formulas for a pound. <laughs> and it's really like, so everyone's trying to make everything cookie cutter. And the truth is it can't be cookie cutter. Because no. if you're in a different niche to me, different niche, different niche, uh, then that's going to be hard to transition across. My niche might be happier to pay bigger prices than yours or vice versa. It sort of reminds me of when you get that swipe copy, when you're doing some kind of promotion, they say, oh, use our swipe copy. I don't understand why anybody would use that swipe copy because it doesn't allow you to show your personality or address exactly how your niche, your niche, niche, I can't say it now, you Got said it eventually. twice. I, I can't do it. Your niche actually think and how and how they're used to you talk, talking to them. So yes, this idea of we want a button that prints money is challenging mm-hmm. because it's selling the dream, isn't it? And as we talk about in this, um, it's not about selling magic. That's right. Hey, this is Rob and Kennedy. Hello. Back again from Response Week. We are very excited back again from Response Week. You messed up the little thing I messed thing up the little yeah, thing there. Was, I don't know why I went that. in there and did a little bit of improv, didn't you? <laughs> don't, never do that again. I've gone off book. Uh, and of course, we're being joined by Frank Cowell today. We are Frank's top Simon's guy. Simon's brother. He's not really. It's not really. He's not really. Brother. Yeah, yeah. Different teeth. Different teeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lovely shirts though. Uh, so Frank is going to be chatting to us today about kind of an approach to marketing, which when you realize it, it's kind of broken down into a few different steps. And you realize that once you understand the, the, the steps to this, you can apply that to whatever you're doing. In other words, if you're busy wor- worrying about, oh, well, should I have a landing page, giving away a lead magnet and then a tripwire offer? And then where does my high ticket thing fit? And do I do mm. a webinar? None of that really matters until you've got these bits in place. And once you've got these bits in place, all of that will kind of fall into and when we say bits, we know that Frank has a process, a number of steps that he's going to wander us through right. during the interview. And one of the major parts of all of our marketing is email marketing. We all know for absolutely for granted that if you're building your entire business on what they call someone else's land, so on one of the social medias, one of the things you need to do is move people away from that social media onto your email list, don't you? Yeah. Otherwise, you don't own the data because if those platforms change their pants one day, then you don't really have a business. And right. We've seen people get hit with that. Obviously, over the last few weeks and months, we've seen some significant changes across various social platforms. We need to, that's never been more prevalent than it is right now. And that's why we became obsessed with email marketing, right? A long, long time ago. Yeah. And it's probably of all the things you can do in marketing, it's the thing we enjoy doing the most. Sitting down, writing out an email, slapping it out, get it out there and make some sales. I just love it. And so that's why just under a month ago, we started a brand new podcast. Hurrah! We didn't have enough to do. No. And so we started a brand new podcast called The Email Marketing Show. The email, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sing the, the new jingle. E- don't, no, you're don't. You've got to go listen, listen to it. it. Uh, so it's actually live right now uh, and it's going really, really well. We are having a blast recording it as we do with this. Um, and it's specifically on email marketing. It's very different. The episodes are much shorter uh, and every week it's either going to be us and then alternate weeks, it's somebody else who, that, that was totally wrong. Every alternate week, it's uh, us interviewing a guest. And then on the other week, it's us. We alternate back and forth. <laughs> yeah, is what how, I'm trying to say. I haven't quite worked out a succinct way of communicating that. Basically, it alternates between 
Rob and I having a chat about email marketing right. and us interviewing a guest. Right. Back and but forth it's a totally that. different format. All the games, all the sections, all the segments are totally different. That's one of our sort of creative challenges was we can't take anything over from this show. And uh, make I'm it loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. So if you're interested in email marketing, it's something you've been doing for a while and you want to polish up those skills or you're just getting started with it and you want to make sure you hit the ground running, it's definitely going to help you. So go and check it out. Just search for the email marketing show on whatever your favorite podcast player is. And <gasps> if you'd like to see my beautiful face and Kennedy's there as well, then you can, of course, catch the YouTube show, which happens right here in our office. We've bought a ring light and everything because our faces weren't bright enough. Uh, and you'll be able to go over there and see just exactly what we look like when we're recording a podcast. There you go. And the silly faces we pull at each other and the stupid stuff we do to each other while we're recording this stuff. Exactly. There you go. I think that's quite enough of that. It that's is. the email marketing show available on your podcast players and on YouTube. We'll see you over there. But before you go and do that, let's go and speak to Frank Cal. Frank, welcome to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast. How's it going? Amazing. Rob Kennedy, thanks for having me. We're really excited to talk to you, actually, because we've been talking to you a lot about funnels and everyone online is telling us about that. My funnel's better than your funnel, he said. And no, mine's, mine's better because mine's sideways or upside down. But in the work you've been doing and the work you do with your clients, we know that you're of the opinion that there's something kind of missing when we obsess over just the technicalities of these funnels. Shall we talk about that? Let's do it. Uh, I have a lot of opinions on that subject and yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> totally agree with you. Everyone is coming out with, you know, here's the latest trick and the latest mm -hmm. hack and here's mm -hmm. the secret. And, you know, you even have uh, some organizations saying the funnel is dead and, and it's about the flywheel. And it, it, it's like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter uh, what system you put people into and what that diagram looks like conceptually. Uh, there's something sorely missing from everyone's approach. What's that thing we're talking about, we're alluding to? I, I think it has to do with the inspiration of what drives the work they're doing. I think so many people who are quote unquote funnel marketers, the, most of these people are really excited about the idea of uh, magic, right? Mm -hmm. We put in something and something comes out and they're more obsessed with the magic of the funnel and the numbers and the metrics than actually who they're supposed to be serving. We're talking about relationships, aren't we? That's exactly what we're talking about. If, if people don't realize that, you know, for a period of time, some of these cool funnel things have worked really well and people have been selling info and they've been doing this and, 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 you know, tripwires and upsells and downsells and maximizers and all this stuff. And they, there's been such an obsession on the funnel and the system and there's been a severe lack of obsession on our customer and, and the relationships we're trying to create. And, and my point of my opinion is that relationships don't just start the moment they pay you money and the moment they become quote unquote customer, the relationships can and should start much sooner. Yeah. And I know that's part of that, that whole idea there is actually part of your five-step process that you have, that you work with your clients on. So let's take it back, back to the beginning of your sort of process. Right? I suppose one of the things that, uh, one of the places where all of this really manifests itself is in the fact that there's a lot of noise in every marketplace these days, lots of people selling lots of stuff, and they're really just shouting their message at loads of people and hoping that some of it sort of sticks. Mm. So everyone's emailing their lists with exactly the same message and everybody's, and that, you know, that's one of the things we're really trying to fight against at Responsory. So the key really is to make sure you're always saying the right thing to the right people, right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, that it's, 
what you just hit on is one of the central themes of the talks that I do and where I'm trying to lead people to at the early part of my talks is this idea and realization and, and anger about the fact that we live in a very crowded, noisy world. Mm. And that really is the villain I'm trying to help my audience slay. And that crowded, noisy world is what's making it very difficult to demonstrate differentiation. And in a world where there's no differentiation, it doesn't matter if you come out and say, I've got the secret, or it doesn't matter if you come out and say, my product's better. There is a severe lack of belief among buyers in every single, almost every single industry. Now, if you're a brain surgeon and you're one of three in the world, then, you know, God bless you. Like <laughs> you certainly still have a lot of differentiation, but for most of us out there slogging it out, differentiation is very hard to achieve. And so all of these funnel marketers, people obsessed with funnels and the metrics and the ups and the downs and everything else, they're not creating differentiation because they sound just like everyone else. And so this idea of uh, differentiation is ultimately what I'm trying to help brands achieve by doing a better job at creating relationships throughout the whole process. You talked about five you know, steps. It's really five philosophies that we overlay onto a funnel methodology. And that to me has been the major difference. It's been the game changer. Right. And that very first step is really about figuring out that sort of messaging and well, take us through this idea of, I mean, it's about, it's about really talking specifically to, to specific people, isn't it? Yeah. So the number one mistake I find that marketers make, and this is, you know, let's set aside funnel marketers. I think we've beat them up enough. Uh, I think if we just look at marketers in general, and I deal with a lot of corporate marketers, I think the number one mistake I see uh, corporate marketers make and even you know business owners, if they're still involved in driving the marketing of their brand, is that they're way too general in their approach. You know, they have you know, five different industries they deal with. And within those industries, there's about 15 different buyer personas. And oh, by the way, they have about seven different product lines or service lines. And so they want to make sure that, you know, all of those are in market and they're communicating those because, you know, we can't neglect this particular audience with this particular solution because we might miss out on this opportunity. And so everyone's caught up in trying to do way too much. And as a result, the marketing is falling flat. Now, I don't know if you folks are seeing this, but I see this every single day. People unhappy with the kind of engagement they're getting with their marketing. So we take an antithesis approach. We take the opposite, which is let's hyper-focus in and make sure that each campaign, or rather what we call a digital brand experience, because again, we're creating an experience for a real person. Fancy words up in here. I don't call, we don't call it a funnel because that's so impersonal and it's about us creating a digital brand experience for this one person who has one pain point that we're obsessed about solving or one desire. And so now we make each campaign or each experience about one person with one pain point that we're going to solve for. And Let's the talk one about how we do that at scale then. So obviously it sounds very one-to-one -one at that level. Is it possible to do that at scale? Uh, one, yes, but two, I think that word scale, like it's, it's so overused and people are so worried about scale, they're forgetting to, to be really freaking amazing at one thing. You follow me? Yeah. Everyone's trying to like do all this at scale, but instead they're just neglecting the one or two things they could be amazing at. And so my suggestion is 
if you start small, you can get to scale and have each system, each experience really humming along. But when you're trying to tackle 10 at once, I work with some really large companies, guys, and I got to tell you that even large companies with large budgets, if you try to tackle 10 at once, it's going to fail. Right. It's the amount of attention and uh, detail needed to support each experience, uh, it's overwhelming when you multiply it times you know, two, much less you know, 10. So the, the idea here is let's get this right for a buyer persona with a particular pain point that we want to solve. Now, anything else that you're already doing in your organization, if you're going to trade shows and you're making cold calls and you're doing networking and, and maybe you've got a direct mail program going or whatever, like I'm not suggesting you stop doing that. But as we look at digital, specifically digital marketing, my suggestion is, it, look, again, I talk to a lot of companies and most of it's not working, guys. Most of it is not delivering the ROI that people had hoped for. So I say, why continue to, to do the thing that isn't producing results? Let's, let's do something contrary to that. Let's, let's focus in and start bringing value to a very specific someone that you serve. And the way we help people identify that is by making sure we pick a buyer persona pain point where the brand can be really differentiated. In other words, the story, the talk track, the approach and way that brand solves that problem or fulfills that desire is actually very unique. And so we give ourselves the best chance possible to create differentiation with that buyer persona, which is extremely difficult to accomplish in today's crowded, noisy world. Every single brand right now is drowning in a sea of sameness. And the only way to get out of that is by hyper-focusing in so you can start to create differentiated conversations. And let's face it, you don't have differentiated conversations across every single buyer persona, across every single problem, across every single product and service you have. You just don't. There's a few that you might have in your organization where you could truly differentiate. And I'm saying go all in there. Okay. And, and, and in a practical sense, how do we do that? So we've got our list of however many thousand we've currently got. And we're now listening to what you're saying, Frank, and thinking, right, okay, I really want to go deep. I really want to go hyper-specific on identify. First of all, we need to figure out how to identify the major pain point of our audience in general. How, how would you go about that when you're working with someone? What's your first port of call there? Well, one of the first things I want to know is I ask a brand, what are you in the business of? I call this a mental model statement. We are in the business of, and I ask them, how do you complete that sentence? And so what I want to understand is ultimately what kind of outcome are you driving as a brand? And sadly, most people complete that sentence with a thing or medium. You know, we're in the business of, you know, IT services, you know, or we're in the business of accounting. Mm -hmm. rather than saying we're in the business of helping businesses find maximum profitability. And okay. so it's, about, I, it's, about, it's about sort of choosing a niche and, and, and that sort of element, really. It's not the niche. It's, it's what is the outcome that you're bringing? What is, the, what is the transformation that you bring as a brand? I don't care about your product or your service. What's the transformation and the outcome mm -hmm. of what you do? And I think when we know that, then the next question is, which of your buyer personas cares most about that and is willing to pay money for it? 
Okay. That's really interesting. Okay. This, this is awesome. Now, the other thing that a lot of businesses do as part of this now is they get so wrapped up in the thing that they're trying to sell that actually they don't really think about the customer much beyond making sure, you know, obviously they reply to customer support queries and all of that. But actually you realize that customer focus needs to happen much earlier on, don't you? Yeah. So that brings us to the, the second philosophy that, that I have, which is the customer service mindset. And some might hear that and go, oh, yeah, of course, you're supposed to provide good customer service. Of course. Right? Of course. And, and yes, yes, you are. My point with the customer service mindset is that it needs to start from the moment they interact with your brand. And we need to start thinking about these people, these relationships as just different levels of customers. So, for example, we often think they don't become a customer until they give you money. And my take is, no, they become a customer the moment they give you their attention. You see, they're paying you. It's just not with money. They're paying you with their time. And then some point along that journey, you might convert them into a lead in your database. And so they've given you their personal information. Maybe it's their name and their email address at minimum, right? Maybe there's something more depending on how you're engaging with that person, but they're paying you with their information. And so that is a form of currency. And so our worldview is think of them as a customer and wake up to serve them. You know, if your customer, if you had a paying customer and they called you and said, I have a question or I have a problem, man, because they're a paying customer, you would jump on that so fast because they're our customer and you value Mm -hmm. the customer. Mm -hmm. Well, we need to think of that, that same kind of service mentality in the marketing department. So in other words, the marketing department, we shouldn't wake up and just say, how can we generate more leads? And the question should be, how can we go out there and help people solve this problem? As if they're already our customer and we already have a duty to them to serve them, right? So when we think about that buyer persona or a given buyer persona, we think about the pain point we're helping them solve. We should wake up and say, how can we solve that problem better than anyone else on the internet through mm-hmm. information tools and resources? How can we help them elevate their status and, and, and move further towards solving that problem? And so that lens is really important uh, because we, we move from thinking about, you know, how do I increase conversion to how do I elevate the relationship? And I'm not suggesting that we don't look at things like conversion rate optimization, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying, the lens on how we go about doing that needs to change. And, they, yeah, and basically it's the person who's willing to make the most effort is the person who's going to stand out at the end of the day, right? So we know we've got a friend, Rob and I, who uh, when someone opts in for a free thing of theirs, has someone from their team pick up the phone and say, thank you. Have you got everything you, everything you need? Thanks a lot. It's not a sales call. It's literally... It's literally a customer service call, which brings us on to sort of element number three of your system, doesn't it? Which is to do with really like not being obsessed with like going super fast all the time. Yeah. So one of the third philosophy is slow down to speed up. So uh, oftentimes in, in my funnel view, I'll have an extra step or two in the, in the funnel or in the process compared to what most quote unquote funnel marketers have. And exactly. most funnel marketers might look at that and go like, well, you're, you're wasting time there. You're, you're putting in an unnecessary step. Hmm. And my point is that we live in such a crowded, noisy world, as we talked about a moment ago, that people aren't just going to come into your funnel and magically go from this to that. And then they're going to do the tripwire and then you're going to profit maximize them. And you're going to, you know, they're not going to just magically go through that funnel, uh, you know, in a matter of just uh, hours or days, oftentimes people would get hung up at a relationship level because they're just not ready. Or maybe the thing you're offering them next is just 
not the next appropriate thing. So I often liken this to to dating. Let's say, for example, you were in the dating situation and you you meet somebody, you strike up a really good conversation. The natural next step isn't, hey, we should get married, right? The natural next step is, how about coffee? How about lunch? Uh, that is a natural next step and people expect that and it doesn't feel like that's not the next appropriate thing to do. So we need to be thinking this way in the kind of information and offers that we put together. So I'll just briefly talk about the uh, four of uh, our funnel steps and what that sentence or that conversation looks like. At the yeah. very bottom relationship where you're trying to create a visitor from a stranger and elevate that relationship level, it's about education. The key word is education on how to solve that one pain point. The next level up, with it, which is fulfilled through a lead magnet, which is a very common funnel phrase, is about a tool or resource that helps with that education. So you can create this kind of sentence. The sentence is, here is uh, education on how to solve your problem, and here is a tool to help you take that education further. So when you can connect those two pieces, you'll get a really high converting you know, uh, content and lead magnet combination because you're focused on helping them in a way that's natural and logical. Here's a piece of education. And oh, by the way, here's a tool or resource that can help you take that education and put it into action. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect so, sense. It's like making then, it progressive, like sort of logical progression. Correct. And so the, the, what most people don't do is they don't connect these stages of their funnel to where it forms a natural sentence. Here's education. And by the way, here's a tool to help you put that education into action. Okay. Okay. And so then the next two levels, as you elevate the relationship, assuming they're ready, would be now see how someone like you use this very same tool in education to achieve the kind of results you want to achieve. Okay. So it's like a case study after the fact? Correct. Case study, but instead of it being a case study, here's where most people go wrong with case studies. They tell it from the lens of their own brand. Why don't you read about what we did to help this customer with our methodology and you'll see what kind of results we drive. Mm -hmm. Instead, we want to flip that story and say, you should learn about how a company just like yours who is struggling with X went from this state to this improved state in less than six months. And we're going to show you exactly how they did it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now what you've done is you're now giving them proof about the thing you taught them, right? The education. We're going to give you proof that it works told from the success of someone just like them, making them the hero of the story. So that way, when you do that really well to then create opportunity for your brand, you don't have to come up with some really crazy slick, uh, offer. We call this the foot in the door. Some people call it a tripwire. You don't have to come up with some crazy slick offer there. All you have to say is, would you like that too? Okay. So, so now if we, if we look at our sentence, which again, we're slowing this down, but it's a natural way to engage the relationship is here's some education on how to solve this problem, your experience. Right. And here's a tool to help you put that education in action. Now watch or read about how someone like you transform their situation, achieve the results that you, that you want to achieve. We're going to show you exactly how they did it using this tool in education. Would you like to achieve those kinds of results too? 
And so when you have that kind of very natural conversation, then every step in that quote unquote funnel becomes their idea, not your slick pitch where you're trying to figure out like the, the, the right offer that's going to get people to convert. And you know, how do you change the button color and the headline? If you do that right, the, that other stuff is important, becomes way less important. Yeah, it it just seems to like it basically underpins and makes it, it keeps it going, doesn't it? And keeps it like you say, not that sort of slick thing, but really driven by sort of integrity. Almost. This this all makes so much sense now, Frank. We're going to go ahead and interrupt proceedings for a second because we are going to come back to the last two piece of your philosophy. We're, we're going to get right back to those. But first, we want to play one of our favorite. Oh, sorry, our first game of this episode. All right. We want to play the first game of this episode. Now, this game is called Frankly Famous. Frankly Famous! See, see okay. what All right. Now, we're going to read out 10 famous Franks. Now, famous Franks. I must say, there's a bit of a caveat to that, and that some of these are a little bit shoehorned, uh, because there aren't actually that many famous Franks. No. So you, you've, got, you've got quite a there big... Are, there are too many Franks in the world. You've got <laughs> quite a big gap in the market there, uh, if you'd you know, like to pursue... Uh, maybe singing or politics or just a couple of clues there as to who might be coming. So yes. we're going to read out some famous Franks. Some of them are frankly just things that have got the word Frank in them. And you then have to guess who the uh, heck we're talking who, about. Who or what? Oh, wow. I'll, I might be terrible at this. Uh, most of you are, don't you worry. Okay, here's the first one. This Frank was the 32nd president of the United States. Uh, would that be Roosevelt? It was. it was, yes. Second one was a singer who sang the song My Way. Sinatra? Yes. A machine that adds postage labels to mail. I, uh, I don't know that one. That's a franking machine. It is. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, okay. Number four is the German-born Jewish girl who wrote a diary that's... Anne Frank. There we yeah, go. That's her. One of the founding fathers of the USA. Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin yes. Franklin. Number six, uh, made a monster out of human remains. Frankenstein? Yes, very good. Um, a sweet transvestite in the, horror, in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> well, I know, I'm trying to remember what was the name. Um, I have no idea. Oh, he was called Frankenfurter. No, oh, okay, okay, okay. Number eight, this was the currency they would have had in Paris before the euro came in. Uh, Frank? Yes. yes. And uh, what, is, what was a gift to baby Jesus to accompany golden myrrh? <laughs> Frankincense. Correct. And finally, finally. The, the, the singer of the, with the four seasons. Oh, uh, Frankie Valley? Yes. yes. I, think that was a, I think that's nine. Nine out of ten. That's really good. That's one of our best scores ever. <laughs> <laughs> Now, there you go, shoehorn Franks. Moving swiftly back <laughs> to this amazing I love it. stuff. I love now, it. A lot of people, when they look at their funnels, they often get obsessed with like, look at the bottom of the funnel and then moving up and like fixing things. But you have a, basically an inverted way of looking at it, don't you? Yeah, well, first of all, when, when we look at our funnel, we have a blueprint tool that, that visually maps it out. Our mm. funnel is flipped, it's an ascension ladder. And I know other people like Russell Brunson and and um, Roy Williams often talks about this too, is mm -hmm. it's an ascension ladder. So ours is, is an elevating up. So the bottom is, is actually what most marketers call top of the funnel. And, mm -hmm. and our top is what most marketers would call bottom of the funnel. But mm -hmm. at the very top of ours is a, a fan. Mm -hmm. And so we want to help our customers, our clients 
understand and figure out how do we convert customers into fans? And so what are the things you're putting in play to make that happen and working backwards to customer and opportunity and so on. And so uh, my take is this, and this is actually just a, a very engineering logical type of approach. And that is in any given system, you know, forget my system for a moment, but in any given system where step one is the input, improving the performance of the second or later step yields increased output without increasing the input. So if right. you just unpack that for a moment, what that's saying is that we can get more out of a system without increasing the input. And in the case of digital marketing, the input is the most expensive part. It's getting traffic, right? It's getting the initial awareness. Mm. And so you might be paying the Googles, you might be paying the Facebooks, the LinkedIns, you might be, you know, spending money on SEO to increase your organic traffic, whatever you're doing, that's very expensive. And so that it, it, we, we don't want to optimize there first. I'm not suggesting that your, your uh, social advertising team isn't optimizing their ads or your landing, paging, landing page people aren't optimizing no, on your landing page. I'm not suggesting that, but what I'm saying is where you as the executive or the executive team, you as the architect, your obsession of optimization while you have other people working on their parts needs to be from the top down. Meaning if your brand isn't creating fans, you should be obsessed about that first and leave the marketers alone and not ask why their conversion rate on the landing page is only 12% instead of 25%. Like if you're an executive and you're, you're looking at this whole system and you're looking at the output of the system and you're not creating fans with your brand, then shame on you if you're getting in the marketer's business and asking about the conversion rates on landing pages and whatnot. You know, go figure out how your brand can create fans first because when you do that, all of a sudden, those people talk about you more. And when they talk about you more, more people come into your system. Right, and, right. And right. they stay longer. <laughs> exactly. So, they, they do the marketing for you. The stay. I'll tell you, he's amazing at this. Back on episode 64 of the show, we spoke to Ollie Bridge from Bonjoro, and they are just absolutely obsessed with creating these raving fans. It's absolutely amazing. And then, so after that, after we've created these raving fans, we've really focused on that, that, that top level of, of that funnel. Um, what's that final bit of your system? Yeah, so the final uh, philosophy. Uh, these are five philosophies, again, that overlay the funnel and, and, and the content we're putting in it, and just, just like everyone else. But the final philosophy here is called commitment and consistency. Yes. And so my, in my point of view is digital marketing is a lot like a gym membership, right? And with a gym membership, you can have access to all the latest fancy equipment. But if you don't consistently exercise and stay on top of things, you're still going to be out of shape, so to speak. And digital marketing is no different. I, you know, I often say like, let's say you do get that gym membership and let's say you're really out of shape and your goal is to get sexy, mm -hmm. right? Well, that's not going to happen in 90 days. It's not going to happen in 180 days. For Rob, it's not going to happen in a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I won't comment on that. But the point being that oftentimes that kind of goal is a one, two, three year goal. And often people who achieve that, they find it's a lifestyle now. Mm. It's no longer about what, you know, what point did I get to and, and what is that metric? It's a lifestyle. And so marketing, digital marketing, growing your brand, it needs to become a long-term commitment, a lifestyle, because if you hire an employee to run your digital marketing, if you hire an agency to run your digital marketing, whatever you do, let's say you're the, the executive, and my talk track is usually with the executive here, that's where these five philosophies are most impactful. Mm. If, if that person hires 
And then they look at 90 days, a campaign period, and they're like, we're not getting the results. It's been 90 days. We're going to fire this agency. We're going to fire this person. I, the, the sad news I have for you is you're going to be on that hamster wheel for a very, very long time. And you better get used to the, the stop and the start. Mm-hmm. My, my, my ultimate message is this. You don't need a perfect plan to get where you're trying to go. You just need a halfway decent plan and then you need to execute the hell out of it. You know, if we go back to the gym example, you could go to the gym and you could pair up with a personal trainer and you can pair up with a nutritionist and you can pair up with a motivational coach and get all three of those people in your corner and get you on a perfect program to getting the most fit, the most sexy you've ever been in your life. And that's one way to do it. But I will tell you, there's a lot of time, money, and effort to try to get that perfect and to get your eating just right and to get your sleep just right and to get your mindset and get all these things perfect. Meanwhile, if you just showed up every day and picked a 30-minute routine, a 60-minute routine that you just executed like clockwork and you just had a few basic eating principles and you didn't overthink of it, but you executed that plan better than anyone else in the gym, chances are you're going to get to an amazing place. And digital marketing, developing a brand, growing your business is no different. You know, stop overthinking it. Put a plan in place. Don't worry if it's the perfect plan or not, but execute the hell out of it. And that's severely lacking in today's business world where we're obsessed with chasing shiny objects. Love that. Now, Frank, we're going to go ahead and interrupt proceedings for a second and final time to play our second and final game of the episode. Now, here's how it works. My colleague Kennedy here. Hello. That's him. He's going to sing a song for you now, Frank. But he's going to sing a song in the style of a traditional British pub singer. Now, that means that some of the words are going to be somewhat difficult to understand. Your job, and of course, our dear listeners at home, your job as well, and the folks here in our office, is simply to try and guess what song Kennedy sings. So when you are ready, take it away. See me if it's a penny, if it's me. This evening disappeared, I lit it up to me. Lift it to pay, that's it up lift it to pay, dip it up it's me that fin me. What the hell was that? <laughs> Any idea at all? I was speaking no. Folks in the office here, did you Anybody? get it? No. No, it's like Colin, our, our developer. He spins around in his chair and looks in disdain, mainly. <laughs> no, no idea. Nothing. Uh, that was actually uh, somewhere over the rainbow. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's a special rendition just for the special occasion. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. now, with, with that said, we're going to head into the quick fire round. Hey, you don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers Podcast now on your podcast player. So first of all, Frank, give us a book that you recommend. Uh, so I'm reading, let's see. Um, I don't want to give you what I'm reading right now. Uh, okay. One of my favorites, um, let's say Traction by Gina Wickman. Love it. Mm. Love it. What's one of your top success habits? Something that you do regularly? Uh, I'll piggyback off of Traction. So it, Traction teaches a, a management framework called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Mm-hmm. And so the meeting rhythm that they espouse in that book is what we follow. So there's a weekly level 10 that we do with our leadership team, and there's a quarterly and annual strategy process. And so running that process 
religiously uh, has been one of the most impactful things in our business. Cool. Can you give us a marketer or an entrepreneur that you really look up to? Roy H. Williams. Awesome. And now I'm trying to read my own writing over here. Sorry about that. Uh, what are some of your favorite apps that you think everybody should know about? Oh, wow. I'm kind of addicted to just a few apps. <clears throat> well, we want to hear about them. <laughs> I, I really don't. Uh, oh, wow. You're really getting me on this one. <clears throat> I'm looking at my phone right now. Uh, honestly, I spend time between... Um, my Gmail, mm. uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Oh, wow, I'm trying to think. Uh, maybe the QuickBooks app. Okay, maybe that one for business. You know, uh, you can log expenses and whatnot. I have a director of finance who handles everything with our expenses, and but occasionally I'll need to log, you know, expense receipts. Mm. And so going right into the actual finance software, that's pretty cool. Mm. Uh, other, other than that, I try to actually be pretty minimal because most of my team is, is, um, they're amazing and they, they handle every bit of our sales and client execution. And so, um, Oh, let me, I'll drop this one. Clipfolio. Uh, so really not like a phone app, but more so like, uh, you know, web service software. So I'll, I'll give you Clipfolio with a K. Uh, that's an amazing dashboard software that's super affordable. That's really flexible and easy to use. I, I love that. And then the other one, the other two, I would say we use Zoho CRM for more of our business backbone of, of um, business process internally. And then we use HubSpot for our marketing and sales management. So those would be three, three softwares I could, I could recommend. Love that. Very cool. Really important question now, Frank. Who do you like more, red-haired Rob or platinum-haired Kennedy? Uh, I don't like either one of you more or less. I think you both have been extremely pleasant and uh, I would give you both an even 10. Well, you gave a good interview, but that was a wimp's way out. Finally. <laughs> I cut that just perfectly where it says, I don't so I, I would say, I would say who, whoever sang, who sang, Robert Kennedy. Kennedy, who sang. Kennedy, who sang. Kennedy. Okay, Kennedy, you win. Yes, Aww. you see, you wish you hadn't cracked on now that conversation, don't you? Finally, please tell us, Frank, where can we all go to find out more about you and what you're up to? So on most of the socials, um, at Frank Cowell, uh, you can also check out my agency, digitopia.agency, or shoot me an email, which is fcowell at digitopia.agency. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing all this stuff with us, Frank. Rob, Ken, great uh, conversation. Thanks for having me. It's great to understand, actually, that when you have an approach to something, yeah, right? When you have a, an approach to something, you can now apply that to any bit of your marketing and it will make more sense. I think there is often a misunderstanding that if we just plug you know, these four bits of the funnel as we're talking about, into something that it's all going to work. And then when you don't, you get disenfranchised and disheartened at the results you're getting. And it's usually because there's something bigger, mm. just that step up above the funnel that's not quite in place. It's a bit like if you think of all of the bits of your funnel and your marketing campaign as being the sort of tactics, that's the tactical stuff. This yeah. is really the strategic approach to make sure that's going to work. And if that's not in place, the tactics don't really mean anything because they're not going anywhere. It's not leading anywhere on a bigger journey. 
You'll find all of the notes on this, all the show notes. We'll put them together for you over at blog.responsuite.com slash 083. Yes. Make sure you go and check out our new podcast too, if you haven't already, over at the email marketing show, available on all your favorite podcast players and on the YouTube machine too. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again. We'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week for Three Marketers. Don't miss a thing. Miss a thing. Check out the show notes at blog.responsuite.com.